This is my instant reaction to Dune. The sleeper has awakened and fear is the mind killer. After much delay, after many letters, and tweets, and complaints from a crybaby director by the name of Denny Villeneuve, who just might happen to be my favorite working director. Can we just give the guy Star Wars already? Or Alien? It's, either, it's, it's a toss-up between him and Bong Joon-ho for the Alien franchise and Star Wars for me. Give it to somebody weird. Um, Dune is here. Not since the days of David Lynch and Sting in a Codpiece have we seen a movie based on the Frank Herbert encyclopedias <laughs> called Dune. Um, I don't know fuck all about Dune. I don't know fuck all about the books, the novels. So I am no Dune expert. There will be a great many faux Dune experts on YouTube and on Twitch and on Snapchat and on Pornhub and on podcast over the next uh, probably six months. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be one of those. I've seen the David Lynch film exactly once and I liked it. So what do I know? What I know is that this version of Dune, the 2021 Denny Villeneuve, Timothy uh, Chalet, Chamelet, Amelet, Chamelate, uh, Simulate, and Zendaya, which if you're a Zendaya stan, you're going to be waiting a long time before she pops up in this movie. Spoilers. Uh, I'm going to talk about Dune, spoiler-free as much as I can. Um, what I know about it, in, in contrast to the David Lynch version, is that the David Lynch version is a David Lynch version of a movie. It's not 100% David Lynch. And it's not 100% an ex, like blockbuster. It's somewhere in between. And that makes it a very strange movie. Where it's almost um, impenetrable because of the mythos of, and the lore, and the otherness of the dune source material so it's very difficult it's like impenetrable right some of these names are very normal and kind of uh just modern sounding and some of them are very strange and there are planets and then there's the empire and this it's called the imperium you know and there are all these different houses which are kind of like royal families and they all serve under a grand emperor, and he sort of has divided the galaxy or the universe, I don't really quite know the scope of this, um, across these very powerful families. And so it's a, it's, a little bit, um, it's a little bit New Testament, right? It's a little bit Christianity. It's a little bit Islam. It's a little bit like desert messianic prophecy sort of thing. And it's a little bit... Um, Rome, and it's a little bit, you know, the, the British Empire and colonization, and it's a little bit uh, uh, all of this stuff, all intermixed. It's a little bit religious, it's a little bit fantasy, it's a little bit sci-fi, and it is pretty much the source material for a great many 
um, of our, you know, the visions of the future and the visions of galaxies far, far away. Um, there's a lot that gets cribbed from Dune and has been cribbed from Dune uh, throughout the history of science fantasy in particular. And, you know, that, of course, presents a problem for this film because for general audiences who are not necessarily hardcore genre fans, is this movie going to be entertaining enough? Because is it really going to be offering anything new? If somebody was raised on Star Wars, which is essentially space opera, science fantasy, meets John Ford, meets Akira Kurosawa, meets World War II bomber movies, meets, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, it's an amalgamation of George Lucas's childhood put through the prism of the hero of a thousand faces, but done in this snappy dialogue, highly accessible fashion. So is a fairly slow moving political intrigue, messianic sci-fi fantasy thriller epic going to be accessible enough or consistently entertaining enough for folks, especially because this is, this is definitively like a part one of at least a part two. And it, the runtime is two hours and 46 minutes, so you better strap in, put your catheter in deep, and fill those bags up, my friend. Get your adult diapers, sew yourself in the theater, because you're not going to want to miss a minute of this. I guess that's a good review. But here's what I know. I know that the David Lynch version is really kind of weird and at times almost impenetrable because of its weirdness mixed with that heavy-handed lore. This version of it is a little bit more straightforward. It still has the lore, but it's much more discernible. It's much more um, accessible. Uh, it is, uh, you have a, a clearer sense of who is who. Although I will say with the scope of characters who are in this movie, there are some folks that eventually like drop out of the film. And I had to rewind to be like, did I miss their exit? Because this is a part one of a part two, again, at the very least, version of this story. And so there are characters in hour one who are not going to be in hour two and almost the next two hours, right? Because it's another hour and 46 minutes. And you're going to be like, where do they go? And there's going to be characters who are introduced at one point who come back at another point. There are characters that you're going to be waiting on who do not show up until the last second. And that... The, the, there is also a series of, um, for those that don't know anything about Dune, uh, it, there's visions and stuff like that. So uh, I'm going to very briefly, the best I can, summarize Dune. Again, not an expert. I'm basing off of the David Lynch film and one single viewing, and I'm going to get back to that in a second, of this version of Dune. So if you're a Dune stan, uh, I'm going to, uh, this is like a, 75 million feet in the air view, right? I'm on Mars looking at Earth, and I'm just giving a cursory overview. Essentially, you have an empire spanning across the space, uh, uh, solar systems. Uh, I would have to imagine it's bigger than a galaxy because you have interstellar travel. So um, this movie does a fantastic job of explaining itself within like the first three minutes. So if you end up watching it, you're not really going to need this. But essentially, there is this empire. There is an emperor who we do not see in the, yet in this version of Dune. And there are royal houses, for lack of a better term, who control different parts of this universe. And there is this one planet called Arrakis, and it is a desert planet. I mean, think 
you know, the Middle East time, I think the Sahara, Sahara Desert. But there are sort of Bedouin people who live there called the Freeman or the Fremen. And those people are um, basically like if, if you can survive on that planet, you have to be the toughest sons of bitches who ever walked, right? And there is this, these other living creatures on the planet, sandworms. And they are giant. Think Beetlejuice if you've ever seen that because that's where they got it from. These are, these are they, I think they grow up to 400 meters long. They're these giant worms. And if you want to know what their face looks like, look at the Sarlacc pit because it's a ripoff of the sandworm. The sandworms hunt, hunt by sound, obviously, just like tremors. Again, <laughs> ripped off from this. Just like the graboids, right? And so the, the, these Bedouin people, the, the Fremens, they sort of have to have this like very specific way of walking so as not to create a rhythm for these worms to clue in on and swallow, you know, football fields of the desert up in a single, you know, gaping maw, right? So <clears throat> really it comes down to there are these two families. I'm going to bog you down in names. But there are these two families, okay? And you have an antagonist house and a more or less protagonist house. And Oscar Isaac is the uh, Duke of House Atreides. And they are, uh, Atreides are, they're the good guys, basically, right? And he has a concubine who defied the law because concubines, uh, they get to, fuck people, but they don't get to have kids with them. And if they do, they can't have boys because your concubine can't produce an heir for you. Well, Oscar Isaac's concubine did produce an heir. His concubine is uh, played by Rebecca Ferguson from the Mission Impossible films. And the heir, of course, is Timothy Chalamet. Now, Timothy, here's the interesting thing. Uh, the concubine is basically like this uh, psychic Jedi none who's a part of this like holy order of these like mystical like witch nuns basically and and then so you know timothy chalamet who whose name is paul easy enough has basically two lineages he's got this mystical witchcraft sorcery psychic Jedi, force power, see the future, control people's minds with your voice, like Jedi mind trick. Again, all ripped off from this. Power from his mother, who is training him in what they call the way, and uh, under the table, and because everything about this is not supposed to happen, which is like part of his whole existence. And then he has basically royal lineage on the side of his father. So he is supposed to be the king the duke, but basically king, think king, of one of the most powerful houses of all the, the, the ruling class of all the universe, right? Second only to the emperor himself, and we will get back to that. And he also has this lineage of psychic powers, for lack of a better term. So he's extraordinarily powerful. Now, Oscar Isaac, who is the Duke of, of House Atreides, is a very popular, powerful man. His planet, Kaladin, and his empire, or his you know, kingdom, or whatever you want to call it, his fiefdom, 
is very powerful. He's a very, very powerful. And a lot of these other planets and houses and smaller houses, smaller people groups around space are looking to him as their leader instead of the emperor. And there is, going back to this planet, Arrakis, there is the, the bad guy house clan who rule over, basically, Arrakis. Uh, the Fremen live underground for the most part. Nobody even knows how many there are. Some estimates 50,000, but there's actually millions of them. They just stay out of the fray. And the planet is being exploited for this substance. Now, it's called Spice. And Spice is, which again, was used in Star Wars, but Spice is, uh, if you don't know, that's what Han Solo was smuggling. So again, ripped off. But Spice is, it, uh, it's, it's a psychedelic substance that when ingested basically expands your consciousness, for lack of a better term. And it is an essential, it's it, the only way that you can find wormholes, essentially, and travel, interstellar travel between stars in safe passageways is by the use of this substance called spice. So the whole Imperium, right, the whole empire uh, depends upon spice, and it just comes from this one planet. So whoever controls that planet is of the greatest use to the, em the Imperium, the Empire, and is also, like, extraordinarily powerful. And it's under the bad guy's rulership and has been for a long, long time, 80 years or something like that, or maybe even longer, and it switches. The Emperor decides it's going to go to Oscar Isaac and his family, and they're going to rule over it now. And of this basically is a trick. It is um, get, basically getting the two most powerful houses to exterminate each other. And in particular, they get the bad guy house, which Stellan Skarsgård is the leader of, this giant bulbous man who kind of floats around and is sick and has all these like sores. Although he's less uh, yucky in this than he, I mean, he's yucky in a different way. But he's less yucky in this than he is in the David Lynch version. But he is essentially, you know, he's the kingpin, right? He's this extraordinarily evil figure. And his nephew, who serves right under him, is Dave Bautista. Bautista. Uh, from WWE and Guardians of the Galaxy fame. And, uh, and Blade Runner 2049, another Denny Villeneuve film. And it, basically, he's smart enough to figure out, uh, Stone Skarsgård is, that uh, this isn't a gift from the emperor. The emperor is not diminishing our house by giving him this. Uh, he's basically giving me the green light to kill this guy. And so I'm going to take it. And it's, there's like Game of Thrones level conspiracy that goes on throughout this story, not the movie, and whatever, whatever. So... That's basically the setup without getting into spoilers. Assuming you've never seen the David Lynch version and assuming that you have not seen this movie yet. So it all comes down to this. What do I think about this movie? It is two hours and 46 minutes long. It is a Denny Villeneuve film of the level of Arrival or Blade Runner 2049, which means it's a relatively slow burn 
His actors are never over the top. Um, it's a lot of muted color palette, muted tones, muted performances. Yet, at the two hour and 20 minute mark, two hour and 10 minute mark, I was on the edge of my seat. And I was on the edge of my seat until the very end of the movie. And I didn't catch it until the end where I was so engaged in this story and what's going to happen. And again, no spoilers, um, that I didn't know what to do. Like, like I was taken aback. I was like, I was, why am I so like enraptured into this movie? Um, that is, you know, seems like because it's a slow burn and because it's so long and because it's very sci fantasy and because it's very dense and it's like source material, all this sort of stuff, you would think it'd be like a very boring movie. And the reviews have been kind of, kind of split a little bit on it. And some people have been like, it's, it's, it's all sound and fury signifying nothing. It's sound and it's vision and it's scope and it's direction, it's cinematography and it's score, but it's, it's boring or it's flat or it's all this sort of stuff. Story, there's no payoff, it's not engaging, it's blah, blah, blah. And other people are like, this is a masterpiece, this is the greatest movie of all time, et cetera, et cetera. I wouldn't say it's a masterpiece. Um, I put that to the test. I had tickets for an advanced screening of this film. And then HBO Max said, hey, <laughs> uh, we're going to put it out uh, early. And I, um, like three hours earlier than my screening, basically. Uh, and I decided if what you're telling me is all this movie is, is visuals and sound and there's nothing to it beyond that, then it should not hold up to me watching it on my home theater system. I got a little makeshift movie theater, uh, not a television, like a movie theater uh, at the shop and the screenings for movies. And I decided, you know, it's just going to be me. I'm going to fire it up in my, the, the theater shop, the shop theater, rather scratch that, reverse it. And um, it's, it's good enough, but it's not IMAX, right? It's not even Cinemark XD, right? It, it's, I don't know, relatively small screen and a decent enough projector. That's about it. It's not 4K. It's not going to be like, it's probably 1080p shot across the room, right? And again, I was on the edge of my seat. I took the, the visuals, because here's the thing. I knew Danny Villeneuve can deliver visuals. I knew he could deliver sound design. I knew, I knew he could get a team together. I know that he is one of the great directors of his generation. That wasn't the question. I, I've seen Blade Runner 2049. And here's the thing about Blade Runner 2049. I, I was highly engaged with that film as I saw it in the theater and leaving the theater on a, and it was like dense, dense fog as I was leaving and the sounds and the, the, the vibe, the mood of that film penetrated me and was like absorbed into my skin and I carried it with me 
for like 24 hours. But when I brought that movie home or when it came out at home and I got the Blu-ray and I got the digital, the you know, and all of that, and I've rewatched it because now the visuals are subdued and all that sort of, I'm not in that immersive sound experience. Um, it, it, it didn't, it, I like it, but I don't, I don't find myself wanting to continually revisit it because there's some stuff that seems to be missing. I love the world. I love the design, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But something story character wise seems to be missing. So knowing that I could see this movie again the very next day, which I plan on, and again on the biggest screen in visuals, I wanted to focus on story and character first. Because if you listen to binge movies, you will hear me and many of our guests who are film critics or people who work within the industry talk about film and talk about story and talk about narrative. And, and we, we almost bypass the visuals. It's something that we almost never talk about. Unless they're remarkable, they, they hold up remarkably well for the era in which they were created or they're dog shit, right? Like we don't go a lot into special effects and this, that, whatever, and you know, you'll hear me talk about cinematography here and there, but that's also not my area of expertise. What we like to focus on here is story. It's characterization. It's character. You know, it's because that's what has to hook you. That's the emotional core. That is what gets you to come back to a movie again and again and again and again. Special effects are great, but they're, they are tools for the story, not vice versa. So that, that raises the question. Simple LaCroix for the working man. Guava, Sao Paulo. Did it deliver? Again, I was on the edge of my seat. I was on the edge of my seat at the last 45 minutes of this movie, and I was exhausted today, by the way. It was a... Hell of a day at the shop. It's been a hell of a week, hell of a month. I'm as tired, run down, tired, worn out. And the movie enlivened me, and it did this other thing that good movies and good stories do. It enlivened my imagination. I found myself absorbing the world and the language and the ideas and the story of this film, the names and the characters. And when certain situations happen and certain characters find themselves in certain predicaments, I cared. I had empathy, sympathy, whatever you want to say. I was emotionally moved. I didn't weep, I didn't sob. Because again, I've seen the David Lynch version. And while this is a more coherent version, and... Um, doesn't have this sort of rushed third act, last 30-ish minutes where it just kind of sums up the whole thing. <laughs> After, you know, this movie doesn't do that. It gets to kind of a natural stopping point, which David Lynch's film got to and kept going, and then this movie stops. And it is an incomplete story. And so there, there has to be a second one because we don't have a real, we don't have a definitive conclusion. We don't really have a conclusion. We have a, a, a chapter break. Basically, the chapter ends and we're supposed to turn the page and go to the next chapter, but that movie hasn't been made yet. And that largely depends upon box office and streaming and all the, the money people. So movie doesn't have a definitive end. And 
Um, there are no like great surprises here if you've seen the David Lynch version or you know the general outline of the story. It follows that faithfully, uh, to the best of my knowledge. You know, as far as an adaptation, kind of something again so dense. So I wasn't surprised by the plot. I wasn't uh, again diminished visuals, diminished sound. Sound probably diminished more than anything, and I you know reduced scope. You know, strip it away, strip all the excuses away, and all you're left with is whether or not this thing is any good on the on the face of it. And I think, with a caveat, if you're a science fiction, science fantasy fan, this is one of the best science fiction, science fantasy films you're going to find of the last 10 years if not longer. I think if you like story and you like intrigue and you like who's who and what's what and that kind of a thing, I think you'll like this movie. If you know the sort of uh, cinema language of Denny Villeneuve, if you like that, if that jives with you, if you watch an Arrival or a Blade Runner 2049, or a Sicario, or, you know, if you watch his films and you like that slow burn, kind of not hand-holding, muted style he's got going on, then I think you'll really enjoy this. I think you'll really love it. So um, I'm not going to get into spoilers this time. I want to do a completely spoiler-free reaction. That's my first reaction. My plan is to now go see it basically buy another ticket since <laughs> I spent mine and, and didn't go, but I'm going to try to get into another screening on the biggest screen that I can and then see if that changes anything. You know, I know the story now. I know what's going to happen. I know the beginning, the end. Now I just kind of want to be immersed in it. And I kind of want to, now I want it to swallow me up like a sandworm just on the surface of Arrakis. That's some, out there esoteric sort of stuff. I think if you're looking for a zip bang action adventure movie, this is not for you. I think if you're looking for something that's, um, again, like high energy with a lot of laughs, not for you. I think if you're wanting to see Zendaya kick ass, not for you. Minor spoiler, every shot of her in the trailer is pretty much every shot of her in this movie. And you're like, but Jason, those are all slow motion. Yes. I will say this. There's one little caveat, which is it only happens within the third act. I had to rewind it a, a couple of times, or actually just one time. I had to rewind it back because like, we slipped into a vision, and it wasn't immediately obvious that I was like, wait a minute. Did we like jump forward in time, or is this a vision? And there was like so, the second time I watched it, I picked up on some like, visual cues of like, oh, okay, well, this is a vision or whatever. Um, and I think the way that they do that in this movie is really interesting. The way that Paul's visions, um, way he sees them and the way he plays out, which is a theme that's going to be throughout this and, and again was stolen from Star Wars. But, you know, seeing the future and being able to, you know, having that prophetic sight, being a seer, but also having the capacity to rightly interpret the thing that you're seeing are not necessarily the same thing. So uh, I liked it, man. I, I really liked it. I'll be honest with you, this kind of stuff is kind of my wheelhouse. Danny Villeneuve is one of my favorite directors, even though he's a big old crybaby. Um, uh, I like, you know, 
this. I don't like sword and sorcery kind of fantasy stuff, but I like this kind of fantasy stuff. I loved um, something like the ship design and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I don't know. There's like these dragonfly ships that they have, which I forget the names of. And I just love the whole interior of that. And the, the, the one thing about this movie is he's chosen to Lynch. Everything in the production design of Lynch's movie is kind of weird. This movie, in a way, feels, and I don't know if it's closer to the novel or not, but it feels like a choice was made to kind of make it more grounded so that you can kind of look at whatever strange thing that is happening and you can kind of understand, I would say like two-thirds of the time, a real-world equivalent. Like, it's not so far out there that you're like, I don't know what any of this is. Like, you know, it's like a, the, the, you know, the, the thing they fly around in the dragonfly thing is like basically a helicopter. And if you really look at it, it's kind of like a helicopter meets like a, like a, a, a ship from aliens or something, right? Like the Nostromo. And it's like just kind of a mix of that, but it's it's, it leans more towards again accessible things. The dialogue is much more accessible. The story is told in a much more coherent fashion. There's a little bit more handholding here, of just sort of like this is what the world is, and these are who these people are, and this is what their motivation is. So I think I think it's a much more accessible film overall than its predecessor, the first first incarnation. I don't know it's, that it's going to be accessible enough to general audiences. I hope it is at least enough to justify a sequel because I want to see how this story ends. I don't want to have to wait and get like a freaking documentary 20 years from now for like Villeneuve's Dune 2, right? Like I don't want that. Like I, I don't want like Jodorowsky's Dune uh, which that's a great documentary. Check that out. Um, I would suggest if you're completely unfamiliar with all of this stuff, maybe give, give the David Lynch one a try first. And then, because that's so strange, but also like kind of hits all the beats that then you can maybe come back to this one and have like a better, like if, I guess what I'm saying is maybe familiarize yourself with the basics of the story. Cause it really isn't, doesn't, this is not a movie that like depends on twists, Right. This is based on a very old, popular, accessible novel that's in wide release. So there's not a lot of twists here, at least in this first half. Um, so I, I'm I'm highly interested in a part two. I really liked it. I couldn't recommend it enough. I'm not going to give it a score yet because I don't think I have the total experience of what this movie is. I would say it's made my... I don't even want to say that. I'm going to reserve judgment for seeing it on a big screen and getting the total experience. As far as where does it rank for me in the year? Does it make my best of, of, of for the year? I would guess so. And is it, I just don't know where I'd put it yet and uh, what my score would be, say, out of, out of a 10. The very least what I can tell you is if what I so said sounds interesting to you and you're familiar with this filmmaker and his style, this is a movie for you. So strong recommend from me. Uh, it's on HBO Max. So many of you listening to this have already seen it. Let me know what you think. Uh, follow us on Twitter at binge movies. Uh, you can email the show binge movies at gmail.com. Let's see what else. Uh, follow us on letterbox letterboxd 
Facebook.com backslash binge movies. Hit us up at any of those places and let me know what you think about Dune. Think I'm way off? Are you on the other side of the argument? Or did you enjoy it as much as I did? Again, I wouldn't quite say it's a masterpiece, but I have yet to fully experience it. So maybe it is. All I know is I was very, very engaged. So uh, I can't think of any other smart way to say that. So I'm just going to say for now, binge on. Thank you.